Psalms 34, 1-5 I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us all exalt his name. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, Luke. All right. Matt Bachmeyer is the one that usually... opportunities left. Remember that the gifts are due back uh, next Sunday. And so Jolene is in the back. If you have any questions, you can, you can chat with her. All right. Welcome, everybody. Another wonderful day to be able to come and, and uh, be in the presence of God here. There is, I uh, wanted to share a couple of pictures I didn't last week. Sorry, Noah. Man, the pictures are here. I'll tell you some of the story of how uh, when Noah was baptized here this last week, I, I got a phone call from him. Um, in the early afternoon, and uh, he said, "Chris, I've, I've just been thinking, and and now uh, it's time. I, uh, there's I just uh, uh, it's time for me to be baptized. Time for me to give my life to God." And and I said, "Hey, that sounds great. You know, you want to wait for the kids to get out of school? Uh, your mom uh, told me his, his mom is, was uh, was working, and I said, you want to you wait, and you can um, invite some friends to participate." And Noah said, "No, now, <laughs> now." said, okay, I'll head to the building right now, and I'll meet you there. And, uh, and so my wife, Sylvia, I was able to make it. At Noah, I appreciated his heart and, and just saying, no, now is the time. There's nothing that's going to hold me back, and I'm going to give my life to God, and I'm in now. And if you know Noah, you know that uh, he's a, an amazing young guy that God has um, started his work in long ago. And uh, Noah, our prayers continue to be with you, and uh, we just... Uh, Excited to see how God's continued to work in your life to produce some great fruit as we go forward. And so uh, one of the things I read when, when we, right before Noah was baptized, was um, from Titus 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, that baptism and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And so if there's whenever someone is baptized, it gives everyone else the opportunity that's not made that decision yet to consider that. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I need to do this. I know I haven't given my life to God, but I know I need to. Then um, I'm going to give an invitation before instead of afterwards today. You can uh, talk with me, talk with one of the elders. They'll be in the back afterwards, and you can dedicate your life to God today. You don't have to wait till some other time, but uh, you can make that decision to follow Christ anytime. And today is, is a great day for that. So that's a thanks, Noah. Excited for the way that God's continue to, to use you in the future going forward. So we're gonna we've been walking through from Genesis and we'll get to Revelation about May, and we're talking about God's love story, the story of God and his people from the very beginning all the way through the very end of the of Scripture. 
And we've talked about the time of the judges here in the last weeks when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And they said, uh, the Israelites said, okay, we're tired of this. We want a king. Give us a king. And God tells Samuel, who is the last of the judges, and it says, Samuel, don't, don't feel bad like they're rejecting you. They're rejecting me just like they have from the moment they came up out of Egypt. It's been one rejection after the other after the other. Give them a king. This is what they want. And so Saul is appointed king. And it says the Spirit of God came on him, changed him into a different person. And you see Saul doing some amazing things. But as we saw last week, Saul had some pretty serious character flaws. He had a real tough time repenting and being obedient to God. He would go and be obedient to God to a certain point, and then when it became uncomfortable for him, it was like, all right, I'm going to do my thing here. I'm not going to go all the way with God. I'm just going to go part of the way. And Saul was the ideal king. You remember this guy? We had a picture of this guy. This is the ideal, right? Ideal king, firstborn, tall, handsome, and strong. And that was what Saul was. He was someone that everybody could look to and really get excited about and think, yeah, this is, yeah, this is great. This is a phenomenal king. He's, he looks the part. But if you remember, one of the times that Saul disobeyed God, Samuel said to him, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So years before, he said, there's someone else, Saul, someone else God is going to give this kingdom to. It's not going to be your, your children. It's going to be someone else. Someone that has a heart like mine. I imagine those words must have echoed in Saul's head. And as we see Saul becoming more and more self-destructive as he goes along, there must have been times where Saul was sleeping or laying in bed at night. And, and I wonder who this person is that has a heart like God's. Man, I don't like this guy. I'm upset. Instead of when we get fearful, we can, uh, we can become angry and lash out. And that's what happens with Saul. And in chapter 16, where we pick up today, God approaches Samuel and says, all right, I want you to go to the house of Jesse in the tribe of Judah, and I'm going to show you someone who is going to be king, and I want you to anoint him there. So Samuel goes, and he invites Jesse and his family to this sacrifice, and it says that Jesse is old at this time, during the time of Saul. And as they get ready to have the sacrifice, Samuel says, one of your boys is going to be appointed king. Pass in front of me. And so this is what happens. When they arrive, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. Firstborn, this is great. This guy looks the part. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And here we have it again is God is looking for someone to lead his people that has a heart like his. So as you continue to follow the story, what happens is Jesse has every one of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel says, nope, this isn't the one. Nope, this isn't the one. Nope, this isn't the one. And get to number seven. Number seven passes. And Samuel says, this still isn't the one. And you imagine the awkward silence at this point in time as Jesse is looking around as his brothers, his sons, are looking around like, oh no, what on earth is, are we supposed to do now? Because there was one more son that they didn't even think to invite to the party because he is out taking care of sheep. He's the youngest. He's the least out of all of them. Surely, seven out of eight, we can have the seven oldest here and one of those is going to be the king, right? 
And Saul, Samuel says, send for the youngest and bring him here because we will not sit down until he arrives. And they bring David in. You imagine it's all this hurried event as they bring him into the presence of Samuel there. And Samuel looks at him and sees that he is glowing with health. He's this young, strong man. And Samuel arises and anoints him to be the next king of Israel at that point in time. Now, we're going to see a pattern here that we've seen over and over again in the way that God deals with his people, in that we would expect that Samuel, as he appointed David at this point in time, that David would become king and they live happily ever after. You know, Cinderella, that sort of thing, right? But if you remember back, we can think of times when Abraham was tested by God, right? That Abraham goes all this time and he doesn't have a child and God says, I'm going to bless you with a child. Finally gives him a child. And then as this child grows, God says, I want you to take this child and offer him as a burnt sacrifice, just like the people around you do. I'm going to ask you to do that. And he tests Abraham at that point in time. Very, very difficult. We see with the life of Moses, as Moses is one who is, uh, did he receive some testing? Yeah, he grows up in Pharaoh's household. He's got all sorts of stuff, uh, the ideal life. And he tries to force God's hand, I believe, into acting. And he spends the next 40 years as a shepherd out in Midian. Different life, times of testing. And so when God approaches him and says, Hey, Moses, now is the time for you to go ahead and uh, shepherd my people and lead them out of Egypt. Moses has all these excuses why absolutely I'm not the right person to do that and I'm not interested in doing that. No way, not going to do that, okay? And so that's what, uh, what ultimately happens uh, with Moses is he has great, this great time of testing. Do we think about Joseph? We talked about Joseph. Did Joseph have testing? Oh, man, Joseph had a time of testing. He spent time in jail. He spent time as a slave, all those sort of things. God used those times to mold him into doing what he wanted him to do to be this great leader in Egypt. God uses times of testing. From the time that David is anointed to the time that he is recognized as the king of Egypt, does anybody know offhand how long that is? About 15 years, that's right. So think about that. From this moment right here, where Samuel walks in and says, I anoint you to be the next king over Israel. It is 15 years by the time, before the time that David actually becomes the king over all of Israel. There's a time of testing that's coming for David, a time of transition. There's a lot of moving parts that are happening here. But what we see in the next chapters through the rest of 1 Samuel is David doesn't become the recognized king until we get into 2 Samuel. But the rest of 1 Samuel, chapters 16 through 31, what we see is example after example after example of what this means to have a heart that looks like God's. And so we're going to look at a few stories that show this heart of David. Now, before I get any further, we know if you've been around very long and you've read some of the stories of the life of King David, you know that David has his shortcomings and David falls and sometimes falls big. And there's that sinful nature is still active there, even though the Spirit of God is working with him. That sinful nature comes out sometimes to some very disastrous consequences. But what we see from David is something very, very different than the rest of the kings, is that David, by and large, is guided by this heart that is following God. And we'll see that here. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? Yeah, that's a common one, right? That's, they make movies about this one. This is phenomenal. So David is a young man at this time still. He's out in the fields. He's taking care of the sheep. 
But his older brothers have gone into the, the armies of uh, the service of Saul, the armies of Israel. And as he is, uh, as the armies are facing the Philistines, there's some uh, strange thing that happens. They have this great. I'm going to work on this here and figure out how to get this to work right. Um, we are uh, actually, as some of you know, we had a, we hired a, or in the process of consulting with a. Uh, uh, an acoustics engineer to work on some of we're going to upgrade our, our system and, so, and uh, so we're in the process of working on that right now so we'll see if I stop get the crackling here and it's my fault it's none of those guys back there it's me this morning so here we go so David um, as he arrives to, to bring supplies to his older brothers that are in Saul's army there there's this big Philistine champion comes out there and he say, hey, here's the deal. You guys send out your champion, you fight me, and we'll just settle this right here, man to man, and we'll, we'll, go, we'll do this. And as soon as he would come out and he would issue this challenge, and it had been happening for days and days, people, the armies of Israel, the whole front lines, you could imagine them being scared and running back. And there's one man is coming out there, and you can imagine him running up against the lines and the, the soldiers of Israel being terrified and backing off and and this fear that is permeating the camp there. And David says, wait a minute here. Is nobody going to do something about this? And David brings it up over and over again, the same thing. How can we allow someone who defies the armies of the living God? Here's this God that lives, and he is just defying this God. He is bringing dishonor to this God, and we're just going to stand here and allow this to happen? And so David, Saul hears about his... uh, his questions and his frustration. Saul brings David in, tries to put his armor on him, doesn't fit. He's not used to that. And David just goes out there against this Philistine with his sling. And this is a tool that, uh, it's not like a slingshot that we think about. It's a, it's, a, it's a piece of leather about this big that had strings attached to both sides. And shepherds would use them like a, a long arm in order to really be able to sling a rock uh, at high velocity. So David goes out there, and this giant Goliath is insulted. How dare you send me out, some boy like this, to try to fight with me? And just like the English longbowman changed warfare in the Middle Ages, David changes warfare with his sling at this point in time. Here's this great guy with this great coat of armor and everything, runs out there, and David takes his sling, sends that rock, and hits Goliath in the head and knocks him over. And the battle starts. But in this, we see something about the heart of God. Um, David, even though he was going to be the last person that was expected to be able to take on this giant out there, David was able to see past what everybody else was able to see. If there were people around, if there were bookies around there that would have laid bets on if David was going to make it through this battle or not, a person would have uh, never expected David to survive. I don't think that Saul expected David, the others expected David to make it through this. It wasn't going to happen. But David saw something different. He said, something is happening here that is bigger than anything else that, that we can see. God has a... God, we cannot just allow someone to dishonor God like this. God is bigger than this. I'm going to try to do something about it, and we'll see what happens. There's a... When I thought about that this week, um, I think about the heart of God, and I asked the teen class this morning, who is the person in history more than anyone else that demonstrates the heart of God? Teens, what is it? 
Jesus, right? In Bible class, if you answer Jesus and God, almost always that's the right answer, okay? There we are. Because Jesus is God himself that comes down to earth and shows us the heart of God, more than anything else that we've ever seen. But if you turn to Mark chapter 8, go ahead and turn there, and I'll read part of this. And this is a a portion of Scripture where um, the uh, apostles are just starting to figure out, or at least vocalize, who Jesus really is. And Jesus asked him, who do people say I am? Okay, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Son of God, the Messiah. You are the King that we've been waiting for. He's the first of the disciples, or the twelve apostles, to vocalize it. And Jesus then tells them, well, what's going to happen, now that you understand that I'm King, it means that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be raised. And Peter, in the next breath, says, no, 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 wait a minute. That's not what's going to happen. Jesus says, oh, yes, it is. Get behind me, Satan, because you do not understand what this kingship is all about. It's not about glitz. It's not about this, this great parades and stuff. It's about sacrificing myself. In verse 34, there's, some passage, there's a passage here that Jesus shares that is pretty tough for us to, to wrestle with sometimes. He says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain their whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Is that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to have a heart for God, what it means is that you've got to take your life as you know it, such as it is, and say, God, I will give up whatever I am, whatever I have, in order to be yours. And boy, when we read that, that makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because we like to be able to keep control over my life, my decisions, all that sort of thing. But as I was pondering this week, I got to thinking... Having the heart of God, having the heart of God, having the heart of God, what would that have looked like? And if David would have been sitting there as Jesus, the Son of God, would have said, all right, this is what it means to follow me, is that you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. I imagine David would have said, I'm in, I'm in. I'm totally in. That sounds great because that's exactly what he demonstrates when he goes up face to face with Goliath. My life is not my own. The honor of God is more important than little old me, and I will do whatever I can in order to further the honor of God. That's simply what he does when he goes face to face with Goliath. God's will matters more than my own uh, safekeeping, my own self. Think about that. Um, I believe that this wouldn't have been a passage that David would have had to wrestle with and think, oh, man, do I want to do this. David would have been all in. Yes, this is me. This is what I want to be. What I have here is nothing compared to what God can give. I am all in. In this, when David goes face-to-face with Goliath, we see the heart of God, don't we? And this comes into play many times throughout his kingship. Here's another story that we see the heart of God. In the meantime, what happens is Saul becomes more and more dysfunctional, more and more sinful, and he's he's seeing shadows or seeing ghosts, as some people say. He is is absolutely convinced that David is going to try to take the kingship from him. He knows that David has been anointed. 
We see that come up at one point. He knows that, and he's, so he's terrified of David, and uh, he's doing whatever he can to try to eliminate David so that David can never be king. Saul has gone from, I am small in my own eyes, and this is God's kingdom, to this is my kingdom, and I'm going to do whatever I can to hang on to it because it's mine. David uh, escapes barely with his life a few different times. But what's amazing to me is it would have been so easy for David in this circumstance to say, all right, since Saul is trying to kill me, and we'll get back to Saul trying to kill David here in just a minute. Since Saul is trying to kill me, and Jonathan is my BFF, my buddy, and Saul is Jonathan's dad, uh, I think I need to separate and get away from Jonathan because this family is, the, the things can go really, really badly right here. But David doesn't do that. He talks nose to nose, man to man with Jonathan, says, Jonathan, your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan says, I don't think that's the case. He hasn't said anything to me about it. I don't think that's, that's accurate. They set up this plan in order to, to smoke Saul out, to see if he really is upset with David, if he's really going to kill him. And Saul shows his colors. And Saul uh, goes into a fit of rage about how he's going to, to kill David. And Jonathan goes out and says, David, here's the deal. You've got to run, man. And they have this, uh, uh, this plan so that David can understand if uh, they're shooting arrows, where the arrows land. It's a, kind of an amazing story. But Jonathan and David talk. And Jonathan says, you've got to run, man. And they make this agreement between them that no matter what Dad did, they were going to do what was right. And you see this play out again later, that David, even though Jonathan's dad is going crazy and is trying to destroy him, David never takes that out on Jonathan. In fact, he does the opposite. And when Saul's house is, is gone, or mostly gone, David says, is there anybody left from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? This is the guy that tried to kill him and run him around. And David says, how can I find ways to show kindness to him? Here's another couple of chapters that show something amazing. Chapters uh, 24 and 26 of 1 Samuel. In 24, what happens is David is on the run. Uh, he's trying to hide from Saul. Saul is out there with his armies chasing David around. And Saul goes into a cave. David is in the cave with some of his soldiers. Saul doesn't know he's there. And David cuts the corner off of Saul's cloak. And uh, Saul goes out, goes back to his armies. David says, hey, Look at this. He's conscience struck. He will not let his, the rest of his soldiers touch David. But he says, look, Saul, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not a threat to you. Look at this. You were delivered into my hands. I could have eliminated you, and I didn't. I am not your enemy. And Saul says, okay, all right, fine, you're right, you're right. I repent. Uh, surely God is going to bring you into his kingdom. They seem to settle things there. But like sin, it comes around, and it just keeps coming. It just keeps coming if we're not careful. A couple chapters later, similar situation happens. Saul decides he's going to go out. He's going to eliminate David again. He's out there with his soldiers. David and another one of his soldiers sneak in to the camp. They take Saul's spear and his water jug, and they get outside the camp and say, Hey, whose are these? Anybody missing a spear? Realize that that's Saul's, and David has the same discussion again. Saul, I'm not your enemy. I'm not your enemy. I'm not the one you need to be fighting. Saul says, you're right, you're right. Oh, man. has the same discussion over again here. 
Boy, does that not show the heart of God? Jesus, when he's on the cross, people that he has created, says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. It's all the sins of the world on his shoulders. You know the song, he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. We know the song, but he chose to die for you and me. Powerful example there that we have from Jesus. This example we see is a heart of God that David demonstrated many, many centuries before. David said, and he, he shares this, it far be it from me to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. God has called Saul to be king, and God will make this transition in his time, not in mine. And I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. And when he's sharing the uh, the... Uh, before he goes to the cross, I remember this is an amazing story here as well. When Peter says, hey, and I think Peter is thinking he's real spiritual. Jesus, uh, teacher, should we forgive someone who sins against us up to seven times? <laughs> that's, that's quite a lot. Jesus says, how about seven times seven? You just keep forgiving. You live a forgiving lifestyle. And he tells a parable, but he ends it with this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And those terms aren't used uh, that I found that David forgave Saul, but he demonstrated in his actions that he did. And when Saul, we see in the first chapters of Second uh, Samuel, when Saul is approaching end of life, when he is killed, and David gets word, Instead of saying, yes, finally, this jerk is gone. I don't have to deal with him anymore. And you know how easy it would have been, David, to respond that way to someone who spent the last many years trying to kill him and trying to execute him? David doesn't respond that way. The way he responds is with weeping and mourning that the house of Saul has finished like that. It was sad. It hurt that the dysfunction and the dis destruction had arrived to the point it did. And as I shared, David says, is there anybody else from the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Man, there's... you see the heart of God here in David. Pretty amazing, this heart of God. Um, here's a, just a, a recap of some of them. What made David's heart like God's? It's courageous enough to say, I will do whatever I can to honor God. I will not be afraid. I will put my faith and my trust that what I see right here is not near as important as what God tells me is there, and I'm going to step out in faith even when it seems like it's impossible, when it's dangerous, whatever. I'm going to be loyal to people even when they are uh, have family members that are trying to kill me. I'm still going to be loyal to those people. I'm going to extend forgiveness to those who are unkind and ungrateful and, uh, and continue to uh, try to destroy me and my character. I'm going to continue to show kindness there. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show love. And I'm going to find ways to be kind to them, even though they have shown nothing of the same to me. Does that sound like the heart of God? Here we have this king, long before we had the example of Jesus, showing us on the cross, somehow figured it out from what he knew to demonstrate the heart of God to the people. Did David have shortcomings? Yes. We'll get to those. But what guided him was this heart that was committed to God, saying, no matter how tough it may be, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. There's something I spent some time in this week from uh, 
Psalm chapter 34. Now, if you read the subheading there, uh, there's a time that in 1 Samuel that we didn't talk about where David actually has to run and he, uh, he ends up living with the enemies, the Philistines, for a time because that's the only safe place. It's safer with the enemies than it was with his own people. That's how bad we can get sometimes. It's safer to be with the enemies than it is with our own people. And that's where David's at at that point in time. And it was so, um, it, but it was dangerous for him to be there as well. And so he uh, pretended like he was insane. And he would go about, it says, drooling down his beard and writing symbols on the gates around. And so the, uh, some of the Philistine soldiers bring him in to the king and say, Hey, here, this is the guy that uh, has been among us that is... Uh, that's, he's one of the great soldiers of Israel. And the king says, am I short on madmen that you have to bring him in to my chambers and carry on in front of me like that? Please just get him out of here. I imagine that's got to be David's low moment when he has to leave his own people because it's more dangerous to be among his own people than it is among his enemies. He has to pretend to be insane just to try to survive. That's got to be the low point. But what we're going to see what comes out of heart, David's heart during that moment and during that time is something really powerful. And what we're going to see is David having this great trust in God, saying, I will trust God no matter what is going on around me. And so I'm going to read Psalm 34, and I'm going to sit down. Now, um, I'm not going to say anything more. I think David can say it better than I ever could. But what I encourage you to do here, uh, I think what, um, what Don shared is let God's Scripture just really touch our hearts today for us to listen to it and and really uh, impact us. It is sometimes when it comes time to read Scripture, and uh, I speak from experience, and I'm, this is part confession here, part of me tunes out a little bit. But I want you to double down and focus right here and listen to the words of Psalm 34 and let the words of David during maybe the most difficult moments of his early life just pour over your soul and, uh, and impact you. Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never concerned with shame, never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to f- the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Let's stand and sing together.